I do hope everybody had a good Christmas, and uh, I pray this year, 2023, as we go into a brand new year, that we look to God for our hope, for our strength, for our guidance, for our salvation, Uh, not just today, but every single day, one day at a time, as is said in so many facets of life, we take one day at a time. Uh, but that's all we can do. So um, may this year be the year that uh, we make a difference in, in God's kingdom, that Hill City will stand up and stand out as we attempt to do God's word. This has to be one of the more interesting passages in all the Gospels. And I say that because we have such preconceived notions about this time in Jesus' life because of music that we sing today. (laughs) Stephen and I had a little discussion before church started this morning. In just a minute, you'll see why. We sing songs concerning kings and three wise men and gifts that were brought to our Lord. We also see nativity scenes that sometimes present to us notions that wise men were in attendance at the birth of Jesus. They met Jesus in a house. Remember where Jesus was born. Now, yes, it was Bethlehem. And in all likelihood, in a place not unlike a cave, perhaps maybe it was a barn. We don't know for sure. Yet, he was laid down by his mother in what we would call a feeding trough. Where would you find a feeding trough? In the barn. In a barn? Yeah, maybe, maybe a cave if they didn't exactly have a barn, but certainly not a house, okay? When they came to Jesus, they were no longer in this cave or barn. The gifts were, as far as we know, that's quite accurate. The wise men were not necessarily kings. They were, they were magi. They were wise men. Not much in terms of sages, but extremely smart guys about a lot of different things. They were not, as the song says, kings. And lastly, to totally, really shoot Christmas down for you, Jesus may have been as old as two when the Magi actually found him. I say that because Herod had the young males under the age of two killed by the soldiers. I've often wondered what those men felt like as they remove those children from their mother's arms to kill them. Anyway, this is not supposed to be a sermon of negative thoughts, at least not from here on. It's thought by some that these men traveled approximately a thousand miles to get to their destination from the east. Now, perfect or personal example here. If my family and I traveled a thousand miles in our Dodge van doing 65 miles an hour, on I-77, for instance, it would take roughly 16 hours or so to get there, wherever there is. The wise men were going nowhere near that fast. They weren't traveling in a Dodge van either. They were sailing along on camels or donkeys in all likelihood at the rate of perhaps maybe 2 to 3 miles per hour and not on smooth roads, which... Like I-77, we could argue that till the cows come home. But let's say relatively smooth. It's better than a gravel road, okay? It probably took them a little longer than 16 hours to get much of anywhere. And in fact, 
It may have taken several months for them to even have gotten to their to reach their destination, which at this point was not Bethlehem directly. It was Jerusalem. To make matters worse or more difficult, these fellows had to potential, potentially deal with thieves and murderers along their journey. If these guys were highly thought of wherever they came from, their security force and all could have numbered in the one to 200 people. This is not a small group of people here. So when they entered into Jerusalem, someone would have noticed. They also carried with them some power from back home because they had no problem getting an immediate audience with Herod. So there was more to it than just a few guys meandering into town on camels or donkeys. But the big question would have to be, why would they go to all this trouble, and evidently at a great deal of expense, to come to a place far, far away from their homeland and offer some fairly expensive gifts at the feet of a king that they didn't even claim for their own? You ever thought about it that way? Jesus was not born in their country. He wasn't one of them. He wasn't even a king yet. I sincerely doubt at that particular juncture he even looked like a king. He certainly wasn't living in a huge, closely guarded estate or or anything along those lines like a king would probably do. He was at the most two years old. Arguably, maybe even less than that. And on top of that, chances of these magi being Jews were slim and none. Gentiles coming to worship a Jewish king at that, a child? And what are the odds? What are the chances here? Why would they bother? Seems they too have been reading prophets of old. The the words of the law and the prophets were not isolated writings. And wise men, these magi, would have pursued any information that they could get their hands on to simply learn more about cultures not like theirs, the societies that were governed differently, even of religions whose theologies and teachings were different than what they had known. Where did all of this info come from? Well, consider Babylon was in the east and who had been held captive for 400 years? The Jews, right? They learned much from the book and chapter that we see in Isaiah 9, for instance, and other places in that prophecy. They learned from Daniel 7. They learned from other stories in Daniel. The the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Magi knew a lot. Then, look at Numbers 24, verse 17. This may have been another clue for them. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Micah 2, or 5, 2, for instance. For among you will come a ruler... And he will be the shepherd of my people Israel, they're promised. It's from this desire to learn and the writings that they had poured over that they knew enough about Jesus and his birth to know what to look for 
and to even follow a particular star that had eluded them for a long time. All to find this small baby king of the Jews. Their vigil to find the Christ child had to be a diligent search. That word is mentioned diligently in the scriptures. But think about it. Our search for Jesus should be diligent as well. We need to search the scriptures. We need to find him just like the Magi did. Now let me ask you all a question. How many of you this morning, this is a stupid question. How many of you all this morning have heard of Jesus? We all have, right? Okay. You need to understand now, we all need to realize that there is more to seeking Jesus diligently than just showing up week after week. The Magi, those diligent seekers, these wise men, they could have looked in the house. They could have stopped for a minute, maybe two, and gone about their merry way. Check off that box. We've done what we were supposed to do here. Yet you see, they had come from a long way away. They had traveled in perilous territory. They were not about to simply step in for a a few minutes and then head back home, feeling satisfied that they had done what they were supposed to do. Many people today simply stop for a few minutes, see Jesus, and then get back along with life. They perhaps have traveled a long, perilous way through life that they have lived. And yet, they want to give Jesus more, they don't want to give Jesus more than just an hour or so at any one given time. And at that, maybe not every week, maybe just periodically. Maybe they just come to feel religious and good about themselves for a bit and then go about their merry way. But you see, the wise men didn't just show up. They came to worship Jesus. They were called wise men after all, right? They came to offer him gifts, as we might do for those that we love. And at this time of year, we seem to give gifts a little more readily to those we love, don't we? No matter who they are or what they look like, we want to show our love to those that we care for, do we not? Same for the wise men. Didn't matter how old he was, no matter what he looked like, Jesus was the reason they were there and they showered him with gifts. And yet it wasn't that simple. You see, they were given another reason to go to Bethlehem to find that Christ child. Look at verses 2 and 3 of our reading this morning. Let's go back to Herod for just a second. The Magi come to Jerusalem and go to Herod directly. And they ask the king, where is this one who was born king of the Jews? Well, now, immediately, Herod's ears perk up. King? Who's a king? I'm the king. I'm the king of everybody, aren't I? King of the Jews? Who are they talking about? They've got to be talking about me. I don't know anything about these guys. Who are they talking about? Herod was a jealous man. Understand that. He had had his wife and two of his sons at least killed at different times. Why? Because he thought one of his sons was trying to take his place. He didn't know which one, so he takes them both out. 
his wife, kills his wife. You know why? He, she was more popular than he was. Can't have that. Herod was a maniac. And everybody was scared to death of him. This guy was living in desperation. He was running from God. Life was all about Herod the king, not any other king. Much like what we want to do today, isn't it? Don't we want to be the center of our universe? The king of our lives? The king of those around us? Just like Herod? So what does Herod do? But he sends these magi to Bethlehem. Now, verses 3 and 4 say that the people of Jerusalem, and more specifically the chief priests and teachers of the law, they were disturbed and curious. This is another translation. The people were afraid of some kind of uprising. Or perhaps what transpires a year or two later when Herod commands that all the male children under the age of two be killed. They knew Herod. They knew his reputation. This was a very real problem for these folks. The last thing that they wanted to hear was that another king was coming to challenge Herod's authority. Chief priests and the, and the, Pharise- or the teachers and all were winding up for another threat to their dynasty. Another potential Messiah to come and take their place. For 400 years, they had been used to this. For 400 years, the intertestamental period we call it, they had had a number of, of false messiahs come. This is the real one. This is the real one it was advertised. And they would find that that was not necessarily the case. This time might have been a little different. But they'd been through all this before. They understood all of that. But the situation needed to be addressed anyway. So the wise men are sent to Bethlehem. And they were sent to notify Herod when they found this child. Because he wanted to come and worship the child too. You see what Satan's doing here? You understand what Satan is about to try to do here? Do you see how even when we try to do the right things, how we may try to come and worship the Christ child ourselves, we can be waylaid by Satan into doing his work? This isn't anything new. We haven't invented a thing. And yet it's very real. Mercifully in verse 12... They're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they travel another way home. We may not have dreams to tell us how to go or not to go, okay? But we have, uh, we have God's Word to show us the way. Even with our best intentions, we've got to be careful with what we do, where we go, and how we do it. We must let God's Word be our star. Satan wants into the door of the church in the worst way. And I'll tell you something. If you don't think that that can happen, I've got some stories for you. I've got some that would you'd wonder how in the world anything like that could ever happen. I've known people who have done things in the name of the Lord that were so wrong, so evil... And yet to them, it makes perfect sense. 
Which makes it even worse. So don't ever think Satan is not waiting just outside the doors of Hill City Church to find his way in. He's looking. He'll climb on your back and come right on in. And you won't even know it. Be careful is all I'm going to tell you. We've got to be careful to keep Satan out of here. So to kind of sum it all up this morning, what do we see? The wise men searched the scriptures and they they had for some time. They found in prophecies what they would be doing. And and they followed what they'd been told to do from the words of the prophets. They found Jesus. But they also ran into Satan along the way. Yet when they found Jesus, they went in and they worshipped him and gave him gifts. The gifts given to Jesus, we failed to, to mention those. Gold. A gift given to a king. Frankincense, an incense which was used as part of, 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 of to worship God in that particular day. And lastly, and how prophetic a gift it was, was myrrh. Which was used as part of the embalming process when one is about to be buried. You see what those gifts are? There's gifts worthy of a king. Worthy of our God. And a gift for a sacrifice. We even hear that in the the song. But this is what the Christ child would be. That's what he came to earth for. To be a sacrifice. For you and for me. Oh, and, and by the way, three gifts did not necessarily mean that there were three wise men or three kings. I am a total buzz killer this morning, but that's the way it is, folks. So as we close this morning, I want to uh, ask you, what, what gifts do you bring Jesus this year? Well, I could give a financial gift to the church. That's all well and good. That's all fine. You're a day late on a tax write-off, though, I can tell you that. Unless you post or predate the check, I guess. I, I don't know how that would work. You didn't hear that again. Okay. You, you might think in another direction, though. We have other gifts individually and collectively that would be valuable to him. For instance, how about singing a little bit louder? <clears throat> Never thought about that? No one's got a voice like yours, good, bad, or indifferent. Make that joyful noise, we are told. It's your voice and yours alone. Use it. You don't mind hollering at ball games, do you? You don't mind hollering at the TV. Wives, y'all don't mind hollering at your husbands. Wow, that one slid right by. (laughs) Whew, okay. No one has a voice like yours. Remember that. We need all of us to sing God's praises from the bottom of our feet. You know, why stop at the heart? Go at the bottom of your feet. And and let him know how much we care. The Lord loves it when we come together and and feast with him any time that we worship. Just simply worship, period. Attendance, I I have to say, is, is good. But it can always be a little bit better. What we have to be watchful, wary of, though, is on Sundays... 
would it be easier just to stay in our pajamas and, and watch on Facebook or YouTube or whatever the case may be than try to make the effort to be here in church together with brothers and sisters in Christ? Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not be, you've got to meet together. Do not ignore, do not forget about meeting together in worship. It's so very important. May not mean a lot to you right then, but we are to meet together. We're, we're required. We are commanded to meet together to worship. Don't forget that. Make the effort to be here. Invest your time into the church. Be active. It takes every single one of us, not just a few people, to do God's work here at Hill City. And there are some menial jobs. Menial meaning that they won't necessarily be noticed. How about just setting up on a Sunday morning? Volunteer for that. Volunteer to help with, with the cameras. To get that all set up. Volunteer to help set up the communion table. There are so many different things that we can do. That would consider, be considered menial in a lot of different ways. They're not high profile. Nobody's asking you to stand up here and preach on Sunday necessarily. But we have really good people in this church that can. And yet there are so many other jobs that every single last one of us, I don't care how old you are, okay? From the youngest to the oldest that can participate in the, in, the, in the life of the church, in the work of the church. And, and, and maybe 2023, this is the year that we, we rededicate ourselves to that end, to be part of that volunteering. And lastly, to help you be able to do all this, to be able to, to navigate the shark-infested waters of the life that we all must be able to do, we need to learn to pray more. We need to learn to pray more specifically. Not just for a good day, but why you need that good day. Why you need God to be along with you at that particular time. Does He know it already? You betcha He does. But He wants to hear it from you, His child. He wants to hear it directly from you. Yes, this is on my mind. Yes, this is what's bothering me. Yes, this is a praise. But learn to pray more. And then lastly, you need to read the Scriptures more. I don't know of a single person in this room that has it all down. Do you? We were thinking the other day, my wife and I, over the Christmas holidays. I have been to school in my life 33 years. Think about that. 33 years of my life, almost half of my life has been spent in schools. What I may be called is the most educated idiot you'll ever find. (laughs) Because I don't know enough about this book. And I never will. But as long as it's like this, who's going to learn? Huh? It's when it's like this. Here's where our chances begin to increase, okay? Okay? And if you're an odds maker or whatever the case may be, if you start right up here in this upper left-hand corner on the left-hand page and you read all the way down to the bottom right-hand corner of the right-hand page 
and then flip the page and do it again and flip the page and do it again. Lo and behold, you're going to start learning. This is what we need. Now, now this time of year, and I hate to get off subject here, but I'm going to. I hate to get off subject, but this is the time of year where you will see in a lot of different places, and you can probably get on the Internet and find the same thing. Uh, Read through the Bible in a year. That's good, isn't it? We we try, and it's like all of our New Year's resolutions. Boy, January 1st, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. But by the 8th or 9th, we've already found a dozen different reasons why we can't continue. And then we just forget about it, but 2024 is coming. We'll do it again then. No. I had a man ask me one time, or tell me one time, he said, I've known preachers that would brag about being able to read the Scriptures three and four times in a year. But I'd always ask him the same question. What did you learn? And he said it stopped them every time. What did you learn? I would rather you take three years to read through the Scriptures and learn than brag about reading the Bible through the year and having learned absolutely nothing. It doesn't make sense. So think about that, if you will. But we need to learn to read. We need to be diligent in all that we do. The big three, fellowship, prayer, and Bible study. Those are three things that I want us all to make that resolution to work at more this year. Will we perfect it? Absolutely not. But I want you to work on it. I want you to work at it. I want you to progress, okay? Those are the things that we need to do. One man observed that Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts. God's gift to us was his son. I ask you, what's your gift to him this year? I tell you what it should be. It should be us. In this special time of year, as in days of old, we look at the wise men as they went to Bethlehem. And every time that we open this book, we have the opportunity to go to Bethlehem as well. To worship our king, just as they did. So in our journey to Bethlehem this year, What gift will you bring to our Lord? Doesn't take much. He simply wants you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the wise men who, in the grand scheme of things, um, played a very rather small role in, in in the Scriptures. And yet, Lord, their lesson to us is so very, very important. They looked to Jesus. They didn't know much about Him, but they looked to Him because words from the Scriptures had been given to them. Let us seek and let us find our Jesus each and every day through prayer, through fellowship, through Bible study. And may we give our gift to you daily. Our gift to It's just us.
Bless us to that end, we ask you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. If you'll continue in our uh, reading on our uh, website this morning, the catechism question, we're going to start off with number one. Question is, what is our only hope in life and death? What's the answer? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a good one. It's a great way to start the year. I uh, use these words quite often, the words of institution. But I, I use them today especially. I'm sorry. Uh, 